The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Small item missing from most Cade Klubnick reviews. It's a scenario most of us never envisioned. Chuck Oliver Show on a Wednesday. Not just any Wednesday. If my calendar is correct, I'm pretty sure it is. If my calendar is correct, Clemson Tigers hit the practice field today. Fantastic facilities over there in Clemson. You'd think that would be the case, but it's it's just it's not that way everywhere, and they're constantly getting better, man. Everybody knows about the slide and everything else, but nah, it's all first class. They have two executive chefs on staff. Like, you know the thing, like the President of the United States, I don't know, it's like he's at the, you know, Mandalay Bay year-round. Like, if he's at the White House, anytime, I want a melted ham and cheese, like, it shows up. At Clemson, that's what it is. You want salmon patties at 4 a.m.? They'll do their best. Two executive chefs. So it's all first class over there. And Dabo has been very clear about his opinion, his, what you should do with your portfolio. And I'll give him credit. It wasn't perfect or easy, but they won. They closed out on a streak. And when I say it wasn't perfect or easy, like that Notre Dame game, they got a little grimy in that one. They'd get get tough, you know. Against South Carolina, we were talking about it earlier this, maybe it was yesterday. And, I mean, in the moment, I was like, oh, man, that sucks for Shane Beamer. Clemson wins that game with three field goals and a defensive score. So, even in the five-game streak, to end the season. And even in the bowl game where suddenly Cade Klubnick, he finally cracked the code at least a little bit. Might be deceptive because you got to go back to what he had done in one game earlier, like a year earlier, because remember he played the ACC title game as well as the bowl. Um, and you realize, oh yeah, one game, what's it mean? And so this is where Clemson sits. And for a lot of really good reasons, a lot of really good reasons, like old school reasons, you might like to love, like, to maybe you love Clemson this season. Clemson's approach now is, this. I never thought I'd say this, Clemson's approach is sort of an updated, well-financed, energy drink version of Wake Forest from 20 years ago. Jim Grobe had an old man team 
that had played together for a few seasons, and it was unusual in college football. He's like, I'm a red shirt, everybody, and get some old men. Well, compared to what's going on right now, the fact that you look at Clemson, and they've got 10 guys coming back who started on offense and eight on defense, and some of them are just outright studs. Like Antonio Williams is going to be healthy this year, I assume. Now, now, that doesn't mean he will be, but he I don't think he'll be more injured and EKG week to week than he was last season. He's not a huge kid. Got bounced around some. If he's back and healthy, Barrett Carter, good Lord. They also have a bunch of talented kids who are all like probably in Indianapolis right now. Fill this cup, and that's the first thing you do in Indianapolis, and then like, all right, go cross the skywalk and then go run and do the M drill and all that. So, yeah, there are old school reasons to like Clemson this year. But it's kind of sobering, isn't it? A bucket of cold water that this is where the program is. Like, they're an updated version of how Jim Grobe got the Demon Deacons to Jacksonville, fly whatever, 2006. It is such a stark contrast because while we hammer Dabo, take kids in the portal. They still don't lose as many as other programs, just by and large. And since the NCAA said, all right, whatever, get to 85 however you can. They were still holding up until 2019. And then after that, they said, this is temporary. But it was 25 a year. And then because of Houston Nut, they like it got real tough. So that's done now. You get to 85. If you've got to give 70 scholarships this year, give 70. So Dabo in Clemson, the, the thing he talks about that we always leave out of the criticism, he had culture, and I had culture, right kids and culture. They seem to not have as many, and the biggest names that leave, like Will Shipley's going to the draft. That happens. That's supposed to happen. That was Dexter Lawrence. I saw him play one game. I was like, he's going to the NFL. I remember Heath Klein. Heath, Jadavion's freshman year, I texted you like before the game, and you're like, no, he's not going to start. Ellis doesn't like to do that. You texted me after the game. He's like, he's going to start next week. Um, like, you can see a freshman know when he's special like that. Like, Dexter Lawrence, you look at the guy and go, yeah, he's an NFL guy. Oh, there's no question. And and Clowney, I mean, my goodness, Clowney uh, picked up, I believe it was Aaron Murray, and basically shook him around like a dog with a chew toy until the football fell out. That uh, happened. I mean, that was like the third game of his career. It's like, oh, this one's different. Because there have yeah, been a bunch of guys, Chuck, that were first-round picks. I had spent a bunch of time that season telling people, look, you got to be reasonable. Guys like Tyson Jackson from LSU, you know, what he, he was a first-round pick, top five in the draft. He barely even contributed his freshman year. you got to be reasonable with this guy. And we watched like two games like, oh, never mind. Yeah, that kid's about to make a lot of money. That was, And there's like Dexter Lawrence was one of those guys. And Clemson, they had a window where it wasn't just Dexter Lawrence. Like Deshaun, I don't – God bless Cole Stout, and I mean that. That was a Super Bowl champion. Um, God bless Cole Stout. It was – I mean, he was dead quarterback walking. I mean, Deshaun Watson, he was just primed. And I want to say it was like midseason sometime. They were down in Tallahassee, and Dabo's like, all right, I'm going to push the button now. Um, you saw that kid, and you're like, all right, he's he's special. He's different. Um, you see that sometimes. And at Clemson, we see it a little less now. And so this is Dabo's version of catch-up. 
is this isn't five, six, seven years ago where you have kids walk on campus that are here to take somebody's job, like immediately. I saw C.J. Spiller in August. Like, I was down there the first week of camp. Would have been actually, I guess, the end of July, maybe. And I saw that kid, and I was like, oh, boy. He's shiny and sparkly. They're going to do some things with him. They also had this other uh, – you may remember him if you're a college football fan. They had a kid named James Davis, who at some point – I can't remember the details, and I don't want to because I was a big fan of his. He like he got angry and left for, I don't know, a day, a week, something, but he came back. He was a sledgehammer into the line of scrimmage, and then there's this kid who you blink, and it's like his jersey number would be getting smaller and smaller. So you see kids like that sometimes. You're like, all right, he's special. You don't see him at Clemson as often which means they need to lean on the quarterback a little more. And when I say the one small item missing from most K Clubnet reviews, scenario most of us never envision, he doesn't have a comma. And, and what I'm talking about, when you look at most, like right now, Cade Klubnick, like previews into spring, Cade Klubnick after the season, Cade Klubnick going into last year, whatever. When I say he doesn't have the comma, here's a comma. Caleb Williams gets too casual with his throws on the run. Comma, but his arm strength and vision make up for it most times. All right, that's an example. Like That's a real one. I went and Googled, and I was like, I'm looking for commas. And it's easy to find them with Caleb Williams. You know why? Because he's a very imperfect quarterback. But then there's that comma. Caleb Williams loses focus sometimes, blah, blah, blah. It ain't a period. It's a comma. But wow, look at how big he is and his right arm. And like, it, there's a comma. Kate Klubnick, there ain't no comma. I read this last night. Kate Klubnick must improve his decision-making to keep his job. Folks, that was a period after that. You go read reviews of Kate Klubnick, not a lot of commas. And that is not a scenario most of us envision when Dabo said, we're going to Texas, getting this big five-star quarterback recruit, and here he comes. Maybe better than DJU from the get-go. Well, that may have been true, but not quite the brag that like we were thinking. And I'm going to say right now, Kay Klubnick has had a couple of individual, like just four-quarter fishbowls where you look at it and go, Okay, yeah, yeah, that kid's he's he's got he's got specialty things there. And then there are a lot of moments where it's just a soul-crushing decision and then execution on his part. Do we all know what happened at the Miami at the end of the Miami game? Hey, do you know what happened Kate Klubnick did at the end of the year? if you say no, I apologize for putting you on the spot. I won't even let him answer. Um Everybody knew the play because it had been called by the coach, Garrett Riley. And Clemson's got a fourth and goal. They got to get in from like the two-yard line. And they had marched all the way down. So, Kay Klubnick's down there on about like two-yard line, one and a half, whatever it was. Calls a play that the coaches had called. Tells all his teammates what the plays is. Right as the ball is being snapped, he's like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. Ten guys do whatever they were supposed to on the card that they did during practice all week. All right, guys, if it comes down to this last play where we have to convert, here's our play. Do you know what some coaches call that play? 
it is so coveted they call it two-point play number one and then two-point play number two. You get much past that. I'm not kidding, by the way. That's You may have that. You, you just kind of start calling regular plays that you like a little bit. And you already have them in mind, but you only have a couple of keep them behind glass, break in case of overtime sort of plays. You only have so many of those. And because if it's really good, you want to run it, you know, more. But you keep a couple in reserve, and then you're just running like regular playbook, which is why some people look at overtime as they get deeper, or they used to get deeper, and you're like, why does it get worse? Is that, well, because they're out of place. K Club, Nick, ball was snapped. Ten guys did what they were supposed to, and what they did on Tuesday, and what they did on Wednesday, and what they did on Thursday, and what they did on Friday night in the hotel ballroom, and what the coach right before kickoff said, oh, by the way, remember, two-point play, one, two-point Ball was snapped. He was like, you know what? I think I'm going to run over here by myself. And he lost like nine yards. It was horrid. If the play would have been a bootleg or a sprint out or a half roll or something, and it just flew off the rails and he lost whatever the seven or nine yards, sometimes it happens. And you can live with it. Even if it's purely a physical thing, like, the guy just doesn't have wheels. Like, not everybody's Riley Leonard. If you get caught out there and you can't get to the edge, well, I just you get tackled. It happens. That wasn't it. The most horrifying part wasn't that he couldn't get to the corner. It's that he's our quarterback and he did that. By the way, that was from the teammates. It had to be. Dabo spoke about it. The teammates did not. When that happens, you're look, everybody's looking, not at him, you're looking at each other going, that's our quarterback? There's no comma. Period. K. Klubnik must improve his decision-making to keep his job. Didn't even talk about the physical. Didn't talk about the follow-through, didn't footwork. Mm-mm. He has to decide better. Okay, now let's talk. So all this stuff I said, 10 guys on offense and eight on defense, and some of them are already NFL. Like, Barrett Carter is an NFL draft pick right now. He's playing for the Vikings, like right now, except he's playing for Clemson. So that's what's ahead, and there's a lot. And they start practice today, and so Kate Klubnick, um, if, you, if you start reading reviews of his and previews and what is demanded this season – You'll notice one thing missing, and it's the comma. All right, we break. We continue next. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Oh, we go. Here's all college football. Chuck Oliver show. I mentioned this a little bit yesterday. Brew McCoy. My goodness. Um, he had an ankle injury that was kind of gruesome. And so he played maybe it wasn't quite half the year. Squirrel White had a huge season. But he played the position you kind of do that. In Tennessee's offense, everything kind of gets jumbled up on the slot receiver. That's an opportunity to have a really, really big year. Um, for whoever's in, Jalen Hyde did. He got into the NFL draft um, in that spot. Brew McCoy is an outside guy, but he's a really attractive one. And when he got hurt, it 
hyper imported the slot receiver role and and the kid responded squirrel white responded so wherever you're lining up there he likes to hustle up to the line of scrimmage get that thing uh snapped and so when you looked at all the experienced receivers there uh really it kind of got onto the backs and then white and they made that work the best they can but losing brew mccoy was a big deal I mentioned this yesterday, I think it was, his recovery by all accounts. Him, Cooper Mays is talking about it, uh, folks around the complex in general. Tennessee uh, is ready for Brew McCoy to step back out there. And when you have the slot and the the out the X, the whoever, um, your big giant stud, who has also been a bunch of guys, who like Bayless Jones got to the NFL. And in part, it was because of the position. So, and his ability to get loose, especially deep in the game where Josh Heupel has a history now of hitting one, like a big giant play or two early. And then if it's against a better opponent, sometimes that's kind of where it ends. Like you get to the end of the first quarter, quarter and a half, and then you look on the stat sheet and you're like, yeah, that's kind of how it was after 20 minutes. So that's happened some, and Bayless Jones was involved in a little bit of that. But he had a really, really strong end to his career and, you know, boom, off to the NFL. Well, that's what Brew McCoy is supposed to do this year. He's supposed to have that big, giant final season and then off to the NFL. Health-wise, it looks just like full steam ahead, and so good for him. Uh, Full steam ahead as well for Joe Hamilton, not the former Georgia Tech quarterback who um, then played in the Arena League in the NFL. And Actually, Joe Hamilton won a Super Bowl ring with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, No, this was Gators director of scouting, Joe Hamilton. And he is, I say was, past tense, because now he's an employee of the Texas A&M program. Director of Scouting and Recruiting Relations. That was the extended verbiage on the business card of Joe Hamilton. Uh, He's from Texas. Showed up in Gainesville a couple years ago. Personnel analyst. Last year, assistant director of player personnel slash NFL liaison. Um, he and Napier are boys back from Louisiana and where he was an analyst there as well. And so he just got plucked away by Texas A&M. He will have a role that hasn't been defined there, but this is another like folks, Craig Fitzgerald gone. Callie James gone. Darnell Stapleton gone. Um, they're all, and this is to either go from analyst to coach or, you know, whatever. So it's all, you know, trades up. But there is still turnover, and this is going on all over college football, and we've talked about how, how this is just a thing now, and you have to accept it. It's going on more in Gainesville. And that's that's really where I notice. I got to say, like Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, when, I, when you see former varsity lettermen and All-Americans and NFL players who are back on the coaching staff and they're lighting out for – Texas and USC and places that are a lot better, but like that's part of why you hire out to shard choice, or I'm trying to remember who the other was it Marco Coleman. Um, when you see a former player leave, when you see somebody who I say he's boys from him back in Louisiana, somebody you got the personal relationship, like this is why you came in the first place. A lot of times it is still the same thing. It is strictly because it is a promotion straight north and it's more money and responsibility. And I go from on field or off field to on, or, you know, sometimes it's that simple. Sometimes it's more than that. And I think with Gainesville with just the velocity, that's a fair word to use 
of the turnover on field and off. Get your attention. I have an eyebrow raised. What's up, Heath? How are you? We got a little bit of news here, Chuck, uh, at least according to Pete Thamel, that it, it looks like may happen. Uh, looks like the recruiting calendar may be adding another signing period. At least according to Thamel, it says NCAA officials meeting this week to discuss the change to the recruiting calendar. We knew that there was the prospect last week of moving it up the December period to the Wednesday of SEC championship yep. week. Now, according to Thamel, the other new signing period would be the final Wednesday in June. So we'd be having three signing periods. Final Wednesday in June, Wednesday of SEC Championship Week, and I have no idea exactly who would have hung around till February, but whoever had, they would still go in February. Uh, we talked about it, Chuck. If you're going to have an early signing period, I don't know that June is when you need to have it, but before the season is when you need to have it. If you're going to do a quote-unquote early period with the idea you're taking pressure off the kids for their senior year you're taking pressure off the coaches for not having to constantly be checking in hey we heard a rumor you know you at least could have those guys sign on the national letter of intent even though once they get to campus they could leave five minutes later anyway but you at least would know those guys are in the truck we don't have to worry about them the same way as we do if somebody could just come along and grab them in five minutes um if you're going to do it, this makes sense. Now, again, how the coaches feel about a signing period in the middle of June, I don't know. But one thing you and I have talked about, Chuck, is it's a big news day. Signing day is a big news day. Having that happen late June would definitely be college football getting some more visibility that it doesn't have in that time of year right now nationally. It is the missing month because even in May, the end of May, you have had just had like the third week ACC and some other spring meetings. And then the SEC starts, I think, Maybe it's on Labor Day. I mean, Memorial Day, maybe. Uh, but it's that last week there of May. And so June is kind of that, quote, dead period before Media Day starts. So it would feel that. Uh, also, I wonder about somebody who didn't sign in February. Like, do you now cap it and say you have three days or you have to wait until the June period? Interesting. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Wednesday on the Chuck Oliver Show, doing what we do all the other days as well. We talk college football, been doing it for 10 years. Nine states and 60 sticks. I appreciate the blessing, folks. 
lot of folks, a lot of men down in Gainesville losing deposits. I'm talking about like getting hired, showing up, and you have to get like the executive uh, apartment in town for, you know, a few months until like the school year's over and your wife and kids join you and all that. And then maybe not sticking around like long enough to even like get the deposit back. Um, there is a lot of turnover going on in college football everywhere. James Coley was in Columbia, South Carolina for a month and a half. So, and there's shorter 10 years than that. Billy Napier, it seems it's even more so with his staff and in Gainesville. Want to welcome on right now, UFB reporter, does it for CBS and 247. It's Jacob Rudner. Jacob, how are you today? I'm good, Chuck. How are you? Done good. Uh, I believe you had a scoop going um, that there are a couple more assistants um, for Billy Napier that he is having to replace. Uh, Dan Enos has come in, but he has lost um, uh, two more, again, off-field or on-field, whatever, assistants, and they add to the list now. Talk about Dan Enos coming in, the promotion of Callaway, who's leaving, uh, Joe Hamilton, et cetera. Just give us the latest turnover. Yeah, it, it, you know where, where to start. Uh, Dan Enos is certainly an interesting addition to Florida's staff. Obviously, was uh, Arkansas's offensive coordinator for the first eight games of the 2023 season. Didn't really work out in that role. Uh, Razorbacks went two and six, and uh, it seemed as though his opportunities this offseason after that were primarily limited to the off-field capacities that existed. And Florida took advantage. It is going to have Dan Enos in a position. Uh, where he will be working on what was described by a Florida spokesperson as head coach projects. Uh, what exactly that means, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, advanced scouting seems to be, uh, you know, a part of the role Florida has employed over the last couple of years with Billy Napier at the helm. Uh, a couple of former college football offensive coordinators uh, to give their input and to be a part of the operation in some capacity. Obviously, it doesn't involve on-field coaching during games. Uh, and so we'll have to kind of see over time what exactly that's going to mean for Dan Enos. Uh, but the exact description was he'll be involved in head coach projects and advanced scouting. Uh, Florida, as you mentioned, promoted Russ Calloway from tight ends coach to co-offensive coordinator. This is another job, Chuck, that I think is uh, kind of going to be TBD. We're going to have to see what it looks like as time goes on, what the responsibilities of the role uh, are exactly, because Billy Napier on signing day said that he pretty much intends to call plays for his third year in Gainesville. He reiterated that on Florida's uh, you know, self-run podcast the day after signing day. Uh, and so I'm not 100% sure where Russ Calloway fits into that picture. I think it's safe to assume that he'll have the ability to give input on Florida's offense, on the operation. He is a former offensive coordinator himself and actually had a pretty good deal of success over at Stanford when he was in that capacity. Uh, and so I would assume that if he's not calling plays, he will have the opportunity to, uh, you know, give input on those plays and maybe even uh, help out with the in-game operation of offensive play calling. And then you mentioned Joe Hamilton, uh, Florida's director of recruiting and player personnel off the field, heads over to Texas A&M. Uh, this sounds like a situation where Texas A&M paid top dollar for somebody who is very well respected, uh, particularly in the state of Texas on the recruiting scene. And so he gets to go back to an area where he is uh, very familiar. He's had a lot of success. He played a critical role in Florida's recruitment of DJ Lagway, the five-star quarterback out of Willis, yeah. Texas. Uh, and he'll now go on to 
do the exact same thing at Texas A&M and in a landscape where I think he's just much more familiar. You mentioned something there about Billy Napier. He announced that he will call plays for the third year. Um, there are places like Kirby didn't announce that Mike Bobo will call plays again. Like, there's a reason you announce you're, you're going to call plays again. Um, the interesting thing to me, as much, I mean, there's been torches and pitchforks from Florida fans. Uh, offensive, let somebody else have the play sheet. Their best moments last year, when they beat Tennessee, they put 29 up. Um, they were down 10 on the road in the conference and came back and beat South Carolina because they scored a bunch of points. Their best Saturdays were based around the offense, I would say. Give me your evaluation of that side of the ball last year. Yeah, you know, I think that Billy Napier had a lot more success in year two than he did in year one on that side of the football. Florida was certainly more organized. I think as you and I have actually talked about before, Graham Mertz played a huge role in that. Graham Mertz was somebody who vastly exceeded the expectations on a national perspective uh, for what he was going to accomplish in his first year at Florida. And that was certainly a boon to the results of the unit as a whole. Uh, But it was good. And to your point, there were some games where we saw flashes of vast improvement. I thought that Florida's passing game in the short to medium distances was more efficient and effective than it was even with fourth overall pick Anthony Richardson running the offense a year before. Uh, I do think, though, that there was a lot to be left desired in a couple of key areas, the first being its downfield passing. Graham Mertz even has now admitted that he wished that he was able to be more successful in the shot play variety. It's something that he said he would be focusing on this offseason because Florida wasn't successful in that regard last year. I think we also saw a lot of struggles with Florida's offensive line. Its blocking schemes were ineffective. Uh, I think that the makeup of that unit caused a lot of challenges for the Gators. Graham Mertz was constantly under pressure, and that also contributes to its you know lack of ability to have a downfield passing game to open things up. And then I think that people would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Florida's run game. And Trevor Etienne was fantastic for Florida when they went to him, but it was seemingly kind of few and far between his opportunities last season. It was an inconsistent area for Florida after a year of being one of the best in the country. And so the results really were a mixed bag, in my opinion. And I don't disagree with the sentiment that some change could be needed or a healthy thing for Florida's offense, at least to get some more minds into the picture uh, and develop some more creativity that could lead to a little bit more explosiveness, if you will. Um, if we go back at various times over the last nine, six months, and I want to say like we were towards the end of the season, maybe, um, there were windows where Napier just got on a heater recruiting wise, didn't end up exactly the way that like maybe at times it had been, but they were still 11th or 12th or 13th. They were like right in that range, which may give you what about seven or eight in the SEC, so tell me where they are right now compared to where they were like a year ago when they were like really surging at times and then eventually where they wound up for well, the I next think year. Florida, sure. I, I think that, well, you're talking for 2025? 25, yeah. Where are they now? Like basically like a year ago, there was some growing momentum about Billy Napier and recruiting and what could be. Um, where is that uh, like in-state vibe for recruiting for the program now? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think that Florida is in a position now where its results will be a large motivational factor in its ability to be successful on the recruiting landscape. I think it's pretty well known nationally at this point that 
Florida's football program is in a prove it must win now situation after going 11 and 14 in two years under Billy Napier. The results speak for themselves, uh, you know, and, and recruits are invested in that. There is no desire necessarily for some of these kids to jump into a situation that appears to be or is volatile. And I would say that Florida's is to a degree. We've seen a lot of change on the coaching staff. Uh, the wins and losses are not exactly moving in the direction that I think a lot of people wanted to see. And that will have an impact on the recruiting landscape where Florida will need to prove itself in order to be effective and in order to land the recruits that it's hoping to. Now, that being said, I do still believe that Billy Napier does a good job, and so does his staff, of developing connections with these student-athletes and and with their families, which is equally as important. And we've seen that prove successful. You don't bring in D.J. Lagway, the best quarterback in the class, and the best defensive lineman in the class, and L.J. McCray, if you aren't a great you know, relationship developer and somebody who's able to sell something to be able to get these guys into the fold. Now, I think that that challenge increases for the 2025 class because of the direction of things and the need to kind of prove that everything is going to remain stable and in place in Gainesville. Uh, and if they're able to do that, I could see them being successful. But it, to me, whether or not they're going to be able to recruit well in 2025 is not so much a matter of Billy Napier can or can't build relationships. I think it's a matter of whether or not Billy Napier can win games or not. Jacob Rudner wrapping up. UFB reporter, uh, CBS and 247. Uh, You had mentioned L.J. McCray there. Like Auburn, they went and plucked a kid. I think Texas got a receiver maybe. Like the story started becoming like these other big programs, you know, got some of these commits from Florida. McCray was one, if I remember, and like Auburn was trying to true love him right up to the very end maybe, and he stayed. Um, How squared away is your understanding at least? How squared away is the Florida name, image, likeness efforts now? You know, I think that Florida's in it an interesting position in that regard. It seems as though they're like most schools in that you can't ever have enough money in NIL. And I think that that is uh, a running theme across conferences even. Uh, And so Florida, of course, is trying to make a push to be able to put itself in a position where it is more stable. That being said, you know, to your point, you don't bring in an LJ McCray or a DJ Lagway if you're truly suffering uh, in the NIL department. And I don't think it's really a, cause for concern at Florida at a minimum. I think that it's kind of in a position where uh, Florida is able to pursue the top end of its class reasonably comfortably. We've seen it successfully do so both, you know, on the transfer market to some degree, but really especially on the high school side. Uh, and, And do I think that Florida is an NIL powerhouse relative to other SEC schools? No, I don't. But I do think that Florida is in a position where things are not necessarily very dire Uh, There's no emergency here in Gainesville. I do think that Florida uh, has the resources to be able to compete from a recruiting perspective, especially on the high school side. Folks, traditional written word, uh, the digital, the video, all of it, man. It's 247 of CBS Sports. You know what you're getting. Jacob, I appreciate your time, friend. Thanks, Chuck, for having me. Jacob Rudner, UFB reporter. So... I think it was Auburn. It was McCray. And I should remember this. It was only like three weeks ago. But they got one kid, and the story started becoming, you know, some of the bigger names. And Florida was trying to do the same thing. They were trying to get other kids. And so, I mean, it's just this recruiting in the name, image, likeness era, especially. It's what it is. I told you the Cyrus Quanjo thing. That was 10, 12 years ago, at least. 
whatever day Cyrus Cronjo signed, he didn't sign with Auburn, and he announced Auburn. And I kept waiting. I was like, um, what's that? Mm, what's that fax machine going? Mm. And then all of a sudden, I got a text from Jamie Newberg, who was an OG in recruiting. He's like, I'm hearing some really weird stuff out of uh, Tuscaloosa about Cyrus Quanjo. I was like, oh boy. He went to, he started left tackle, did the three year thing. He was just like, boom, right along. And then what was off to the league is, I think, a first round pick. If not, he was a, he might have been a first rounder. Um, but that was just old school. Oh, a kid flipped and you had to point and go, mm, I'm suspicious. That's what you were supposed to do. Unless it was Laramie Tunsil and Georgia fan said, you bought him. Hugh Freeze in response tweeted, well, we don't need to go over that. But Georgia fans were like, you popped this kid. So that was old school, though. That was 2013, I think, was the Laramie Tunsil thing. And all you could do was speculate. I don't know, speculate now. Auburn's coming after your recruit. If the next day, it, hi, this is LJ McCray for Indigo Hotel in downtown Gainesville. Um, yeah, I know how it got pulled off. And in that case, I'm, I tip my hat to the Gators Collective. It's what it is, man. We live in the adult world in 2024. Like the adult world was, oh, I bet their bag was bigger than the one we offered. Like that was old school, you know, adult world. Old school uh, adult world in, in 2024 is, oh, he endorses potato chips now. He endorses a Lamborghini dealership. He has a private jet commercial. So that's what it is now. We break. Wrap up our one next. the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show if you get caught around patting yourself on the back for last year you're going to be really disappointed and so i don't think uh anybody is is sitting around staring at the Cotton Bowl trophy. Eli Drinkwitz. Am I cynical? I don't know. He said, hey, we got to be forward-facing. Then he makes sure he gets in that, hey, we won the Cotton Bowl last year. Chuck Oliver Show on a Wednesday. We'll talk a little Missouri coming up top of the hour with Gerard Hamilton. PowerMizzou.com. If you are looking at Missouri and what could possibly happen with them this coming year, we always look at offense because those are numbers that we all easily understand, you know, relatable more. They had three first-team All-SEC players on offense. They had a first-team All-SEC running back, receiver, and lineman. Folks, they had two first-team All-Conference performers on defense. They had another one on second team. Had a kid at all three levels on defense. There's your story because they lost I think it was 10 kids who started or basically started, played starter snaps. That's a nickel corner, you know, rush in. Played basically starters minutes. Um, and they have a new coordinator. So there's your issue. And they are a program 
there is a little bit of still recruit, develop, grow, water, give them sun, fertilizer, et cetera. There's still some of that. They're not as likely to jump in the portal, come in port a whole bunch, like Arkansas does that. And everybody to some degree, but they got some homegrown talent that then they then got creative with, particularly Darius Robinson. But it's him, it's Hopper, it's Abrams Drain, so really, really talented squad. And so Eli saying, Hey, we're forward facing it. We beat Ohio State. Pete, am I being cynical there? Uh to an extent, but I, I mean I get why you are. I, I could see where you're coming from. But I, I do think in this case, just the way he said it, I think it was more about, hey, you know, we we get it. Last year was good, but we can't just sit around and live off of last year. If if we go back to being six and six again, then last year's fluke, and everybody just says, "Ah, who cares?" I'm mostly kidding. Uh, Brady Cook, though, is again this guy that we look at and go, "I understand touchdowns to picks. I understand Cody Schrader. He did what? He led the SEC in rushing. Well, huh? We understand that. We don't understand the guy necessarily. I don't. I mean, we look at a pressure rate and we go, "Is that good?" All right, what was Dallas Turner's pressure rate? All right, this was more. Wow, that was good. So that's really the key with Missouri, I think, this season. It's all that talent and it's the direction. They'll at least have the same plan and direction on offense. Yeah, the thing to me is this is the year. You've got a quarterback in Cook now with multiple years playing for Drinkwitz, and you've got Luther Burden for one more season. And everybody knows it's one more season. So there's very much all the chips in the center here vibe to this year you got the best schedule a lot of people believe in the sec record wise in addition to those factors i mean if you can't do something special this year make the playoff this year make something happen it's hard to see when the next window is going to open up that gives you a better opportunity than this oh yeah everything comes with an asterisk you know hey you're at alabama but you know the bore and you don't know the transition etc you're at texas a&m but hey new coach you don't know about that like everything that is supposed to be difficult you play oklahoma but you play them at home like there's a little bit of an opening even to the quote bad news and it it really is going to be interesting to see what they do with it because again how often does missouri drinkwitz or anybody at missouri have to deal with true expectations and some programs can't handle that as well. Yeah, you know, it's one thing to be the the hungry underdog, but then when you have to deal with people saying, "Hey, you're top fifteen kind of program going in the year," can your kids keep their head? Can you, as a coach, when you haven't had to deal with that before, can you keep them on the oh, right absolutely. path? So, going to be interesting to see how that plays out. He's never been in that position, Chuck. Never. I mean, even as no. an assistant, there's not a place you could point to on Drinkwitz's resume where that applies. And Missouri, as a program, I'm trying to remember, didn't that thing with Chase Daniel, didn't they get to number one? Like, and they were a surprise. And then the first week there at number one, I think they got beaten, dropped down from number one. So, like, yeah, they don't have a lot of history at the top. Um, and that thing about expectations and how you deal with it, that is real. Yeah, no question. And by the way, the other side of that coin, that game, uh, famously the uh, showdown between Chase Daniel and Todd Reesing and somehow Missouri and Kansas are at the top of the list in the college football world. It's like, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, we have some news on Kansas. Kansas' new contract for Lance Leipold, according to ESPN, that features a raise to more than $7 million per year. Wow. $7 million per year for Kansas' football yep. coach. And, Chuck, I think you can point to one thing and one thing only. You and I have talked about this, this idea that towards the end of the decade – there's probably going to be a grand realignment that's sort of the future of college sports. Kansas is looking and they're saying, we found out our basketball program, elite level program, we're the best in the sport. When it came time for realignment, it didn't mean jack. 
We've got good academics, a decent media market, but our football program was embarrassing, so nobody wanted anything to do with us. We cannot make that mistake again. And we found a dude who can actually somehow have a non-embarrassing football program and maybe even good regularly at Kansas. We will not let him get away. This is not because of how much Kansas loves football. This is Kansas making sure when the apocalypse comes, the boat to take them to the Big Ten is there. Absolutely true. Uh, And they're also having success. This is not necessarily a trust us. We know we have the right guy. Just um, keep holding the rope. That's not what this is. Like folks in Kansas have seen that. They've seen especially they even lost the quarterback last year, Uh, like the really, really special quarterback. And they were able to kind of persevere at least enough. So uh, there looks. This doesn't look to be sand. Um, it looks to be a little bit more permanent than that. And we, you even we played a clip a couple of weeks ago about they're investing four hundred million dollars in facilities, but a lot of that's football. So that's just kind of what it is right now in the environment. And for whatever it may matter, for whatever the buyout is, when somebody snatches him anyway, Kansas leadership's doing what they can. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.